my God, my victor. Your name is precious. If you would, open your word to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, and the kids may be dismissed at this time. Please stand to your feet as we read God's word. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the... Then God said to Abraham, As and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this great representation of faith, Lord, written in your holy word, God, that we could search it out. And we ask that, Lord, as we read and we unfold your word today, Lord, that your spirit would be in this place, that your whole, that, that it wouldn't just fall on deaf ears, Lord, but that whatever you want to communicate this morning, to say the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, God. And we're so thankful and part of your plan and giving us that name. We just ask that we would uh, understand to that. As we read through the Hebrews Hall of Fame, as I like to call it, Hebrews chapter 11, we have seen those. Noah built a boat when he had never seen rain um, to follow God to a land of promise. And Sarah, his wife, go any further. Does everyone have a handout? Does anyone need one? Go ahead and raise your hand. We'll get you one. I say Hebrews Hall. In our culture, we have uh, many halls of fame, influential people that we look to, whether it's sports, whether it's uh, fame of some sort or accomplishments. Um, so you got a baseball hall of fame that's going to celebrate a lot of points. Rock and roll hall of fame. You have musicians that have accomplished people. Um, our hall of fame is much different. Instead of this car accomplishments, it is God who gets the credit accounting righteousness to their faith, which is completely opposite to what we celebrate in our culture. In a world that tells us we need to be strong to survive, we have examples of weakness and humility. Where on the one hand, we have a culture that celebrates people in our halls of fame who have accomplished great things. You know, our Hebrews chapter 11 hall of fame are people that by faith, if you, if you read through it, you'll see by faith, Enoch followed God. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah God gave Sarah power to conceive. You know, um, as I was given the opportunity to preach, 
uh, Bishop sent an email out to Pastor Aldo, Pastor Chad, and myself, and he said, I need someone to preach on February 5th. Had no idea it was Super Bowl Sunday. I, that really wouldn't have changed anything. But the first thing I did was volunteer Pastor Aldo uh, for a couple of reasons, because I, I honestly wanted to hear him preach, um, but because I was a little bit intimidated. Um, so first thing that happened after that, Pastor Chad said, I'm too busy to do it. And then ultimately, later on that week, uh, Bishop came to me and said, all right, so are you ready to preach? And I said, sure I am. Here I am. Um, but it's a little bit intimidating. And, you know, to stand up in front of people, you know, if I put two good sentences together, sometimes I'm doing good. So to stand up and, and talk for 30 to 45 minutes uh, is a little intimidating. Um, but there always comes that time in sermon preparation to where I'm digging into God's word and I'm really searching, like, are, what do you want me to say, God? What do you want uh, your people to hear? And then all of a sudden the outline comes together and it starts to look good and, and I feel pretty good about where I am. And then yesterday happened and it's like uh, I just had all this anxiety and fear and I felt weak and completely vulnerable and I'm thinking, man, I can't do this. And God really had to like stop everything, pause me, and remind me of the message that I'm preaching on. The message I'm preaching on is faith. And, um, and it's living faith through crisis. And it's not necessarily a particular event, a crisis that we're talking about, like your car breaking down or somebody uh, becoming gravely ill in your family, but the crisis of belief that we constantly have in our lives. You, you experience that when you first come to God. You have a crisis of belief. Do I believe in God or do I not? And you continually go through these in your faith walk. And so I had to really sit back and kind of just decide, all right, do I really believe in what I'm preaching? And if I do, then what's the big deal? God has got this. So even in our weakness, even though I am weak and, I, and you know, I, I'm petitioning God kind of like Moses did, where God, I'm not, I'm not an eloquent speaker. God, I'm going to say something stupid, which is probably going to happen today. Um, but in my weakness, God is strong, and, you know, we're going to go on. So as we walk through our faith and belief in God, we will experience doubt and fear. In these times, God offers grace in our weakness and gives us strength to push through it. And that's exactly what happened. Sarah was not immune to fear or weakness. Not only in herself, but also in her husband. She didn't just submit herself to God, but also to Abraham, calling him Lord, lowercase l. She wasn't putting him into the level of God, but she called her husband Lord. How many women, I asked this in the first service, how many women call their husband Lord? Ever, once. Right? Never? You guys need to, you guys need to pay attention to what Sarah's doing here. <laughs> Look, she's not, she's not worshiping him. She's not exalting him upon, uh, a farther than he should be, but she is showing her submission to her husband. And she, she shows us an example of how to be submissive to God and submissive to your husband in a godly manner. Not perfect, uh, but in a godly manner. Circumstances in our lives can be a great opportunity to practice what we preach. It's a lot easier to tell somebody how to live their life or how to go through a situation. It's a lot harder when you have to go through it yourself and, decide, and come to that realization to, to where am I going to trust God or not. 
When God-sized tasks are in front of us, it is only through God that we can be victorious. It is only through God that we can be victorious. Uh, one of the books that we have out in the lobby is a Experiencing God book. And through that book, Henry Blackaby shows that, that we should be pursuing God-sized tasks. We shouldn't pursue uh, ventures or things that we think we can accomplish on our own. So when people talk about having a vision from God or having um, something laid on their heart, you can usually tell when it's something from God or something from them when you look at the size or enormity of it. The example I gave was this church here. So 14 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago, um, you know, God put it in the heart of the of bishop and the leaders of that early church to start a church plant. And, uh, it, you know, no doubt, it's not something that they could have done on their own. It's not something where they just went on their own devices. It's something that's God-driven, and it's something that takes and the responsibility and um, all the things that come. God demonstrated his grace to Sarah and Abraham by giving them the son of promise to intervene on his behalf. Right, we get a little impatient on God. Uh, through this crisis of belief, we have to decide if we truly trust God or not. So, you, so we come to that, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a calling in the ministry, maybe it's the Holy Spirit convicting you of something, God, or, or do I not? Will I follow God or will I not? That is your crisis experiences, this crisis, and moves from a wife of a man of God to a woman of God. Abraham's faith to God, but ultimately Hebrews tells us that she considered God to be faithful. Uh, the, the gentleman who was uh, making um, uh, uh, verses 11 and 12 was stating that um, God gave playing, and I'm not trying to um, make this guy look bad, but I just, I don't, saying that it was all because of Abraham that God gave her power to conceive. But if you read on to the very next verse, faithful, she judged him faithful. She believed in God. She may have had doubt. She may have had fear. She may have Abraham's faith. Point number one in your hand, doubt. Faith and belief in God does not necessarily re represent the God and believe that he's going to do something and not really understand or know how he's going to do it. And where she laughed to herself at the thought of bearing a child. 15. And save your spot there because we'll... Genesis 18, return to you, he is God. According to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah had laughed within herself, saying, After I, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord also. Pleasure, my Lord also. That's, this is where she calls Abraham Lord, by the way, lowercase l. And the Lord God said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At that appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall bear her son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. <clears throat> and that laughter will play a part in the ultimate plan. But, you know, Sarah gets a bad rap for kind of laughing or chuckling. She didn't laugh out loud and in necessarily blatant disrespect, but she laughed to herself thinking, 
Am I really gonna bear a child to my husband? I've been waiting all this time and um, is it gonna happen now? Uh, verse 12 says she laughed within herself and Abraham actually laughed with, to himself as well. So in, in chapter 17, if you flip back to chapter 17, um, God was promising a son to Sarah, to Abraham, and he went so far as to try to correct God by inserting Ishmael, his other son, into God's plan. God has to rebuke Abraham in verse 19 as a result. So we'll go to Genesis 17, starting at 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So basically he's saying, yeah, God, you're gonna give me a son of promise. Oh, that Ishmael might be that son and, and live before you. But God has to rebuke him. In, in verse 19, he said, then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So you see, there's a lot of doubt, a lot of uncertainty, even with Abraham. You know, they, they're kind of chuckling at the thought of having a child in their advanced age. But as we know, with God, all things are possible. It's not just something fun to say, but it's really true. Sarah was advanced in age, and the Bible specifically states that she was past the age of childbearing. And this alludes to a, uh, a specific physical event, menopause, and I promised myself that I don't know anything about menopause and I was just gonna bring it up and then leave it alone, right? But basically your, factory, your baby making factory is closed at that point. And if you don't know anything about menopause, Google it under safe search or something like that. <laughs> Careful what you Google. Um, the ESV specifically states the way of, of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she, she couldn't, not, it wasn't just that Sarah was old, was advanced in age. It wasn't just that she had lived for a long time and, and doubted God. It's that physically she could not have kids anymore. In Sarah's time, it was not unlikely that barren women would have children through their maid or concubine. It sounds absolutely absurd to us today, um, but in that time, you know, that was completely acceptable. And I was kind of thinking about some analogy or something I could kind of compare it to, but it, this really doesn't get, come close to that comparison, but I'm just thinking of like how smoking was in the 40s and 50s. Like people would smoke everywhere, but today it's, it's so taboo. So culturally, the fact that she would have a, a son through her maid doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it was something that was practiced in that time. Actually, Rachel in Genesis chapter 30, verse 16, did the same thing um, to give Joseph a son. I'm sorry, Jacob a son. Um, Abraham and Sarah had both settled in their minds that God's promise had to come through their own hands. So they waited a long time and they followed God, and, and, they, and they waited longer and longer, and then they tried to take things into their own hands. These were not perfect people, uh, but they did ultimately believe and trust in God. Um, so number two in your handout, God gives grace to, whom he, to those whom he calls. God gives grace to those whom he calls. 
See, Sarah entered into a state of God's grace after receiving the covenant promise in Genesis 17. Her name was changed from Sarai to Sarah. Abram's name was changed from Abram to Abraham. There's a couple other examples of where Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. You know, the apostle Paul was called Saul when he was a persecutor. And then when God miraculously converted him, he was then named Paul. This is a sign of God's covenant. This is a sign of, of God's grace. You see, when God calls someone or enters into a, understands that we need grace, and that's exactly what he gives Sarah, even though she's, she laughs, even though she's old, God gives grace because now she belongs to him. Abraham and Sarah had a co-op of faith. As God enters into a covenant with them, both Sarah and Abram received a new name from God, which was a sign of his covenant. Not only did God bless her and remove the shame that she bore in her barrenness, he made her a mother of nations, a mother of kings, and ultimately the mother, the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ, who is the king of kings. That's God's grace. He knew that she wanted a son. Yes, he made her wait for his time, but that's God's grace. Not only did she receive a son, not only was he the son of promise, but ultimately through her seed would come the savior of the world. What a great honor and blessing to have. You know, the covenant was not a result of the righteousness of Abraham or Sarah either, but rather God's calling. Romans chapter three states, uh, Paul specifically states, none are righteous, none seek after God, none are good. We're all sinners, we all fall short. God didn't look at Abraham when he was in the land of his fathers and, and see, man, this guy is so great. I'm gonna make my nation out of this guy because he's so good. No, it was his faith and it was his belief in God that made him righteous. And because of that faith and belief, God's righteousness was imputed to him. If we uh, turn to Romans chapter four, verses three through eight. Romans four, three through eight. Paul's writing here, he says, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. So basically what he's saying is if somebody gives you something and you decide that, man, I feel really grateful for this person, give me something, let me work for them. Well, that's no longer a grace. That's no longer a gift. You're working for what they gave you. Uh, verse five, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven and blessed are those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Abraham believed God, Sarah believed God, and it was accounted to them for righteousness. It wasn't their good works. It wasn't because they were better than everyone else, but it was because of their faith and their belief. Instead, God imputes righteousness to them, and through their faith, God brings about a great nation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we read a couple weeks ago. It was a big focal point with Enoch. 
how Enoch walked with God. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you can just write that verse down under your point number two there and go back to it later. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Not improbable, not a good chance, it is impossible. Without faith, you cannot please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, must believe that God exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Turn there real quick. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those cloud of witnesses are everyone in Hebrews chapter 11 that we read about, Moses, Abraham, Enoch, let us, cast off, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, what, what the writer is saying here is that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. We can't even claim credit for our own faith. Jesus Christ is the one who's, God is the one who's responsible. Our works are, are, are not, are, are filthy rags, essentially, to God, our best works. And there's no way for us to please God through hard work, through trying to live a good life. It's only through faith. It's only through belief in Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus the author of our faith, but he's the finisher of our faith. He's the one that's gonna bring us through. God is not, uh, God is not just gonna call you to something and then leave you to your own devices. So God gives us grace when he calls us. The third point here in your bulletin is God is faithful to make provision for his promises. So the first point was faith and belief in God does not necessarily represent the absence of doubt. We are human and even... Even though we know God is awesome, we still doubt. Uh, one, one verse that I uh, think about is, uh, you know, about doubting God is, I forgot to mention this earlier, um, Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Uh, a man had a son who would, would just get possessed by a demon, and he would like, it would just take over his body since he was a young kid, and he brought the kid to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't do anything about it. So and after Jesus rebukes his disciples. Uh, so even they didn't have faith. So Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. Um, before he does that, Jesus says, with God, all things are possible to those who believe. Help my unbelief. And, he, and I kind of, whenever I read that, his child, he had, to, he had to endure all this pain and suffering with his seeing, um, you know, the ones that they love the most suffer like that. You could, you could put yourself, and he believed that Jesus had the power to do it. But there's, even when we believe, there's still some, you know, you may be there right now. You may be there through something you're going through, or maybe you've been there in the hem of his garment where you're just trying to hold on. You've got this waning faith, but God is faithful. God gives grace to those whom he calls. And then point number three was God is faithful to make provision for his promises. God doesn't leave us out there by ourselves. When he calls us to do something, he prepares the way. 
He makes sure that there's, uh, there's going to be the things that you need to, to do that task. You know, when God called me into uh, to preaching and leading, and he called me from just being someone who, you know, is serving in church and being a biblical Christian, but to being a leader, um, he didn't just say, you know, Anthony, I want you to step up and I want you to preach and teach and lead. He, uh, he did that. And then, you know, when I went to my pastor at that time, which was at a different church, um, he did that with three other guys at the same time. And not only did he do it in their lives, but our wives were on board. He had a year-long pastoral residency thing set up. I mean, everything was in place. God had worked this out already. So when God calls, he has a plan. He has provision. He already has things ready for you. When God called Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let his peoples go, peoples, to let his people go, he already had everything prepared. Moses was was, you know, like I was yesterday uh, thinking about preaching. I can't do this, God. I, who, you know, I'm just, I'm just a shepherd, you know, and, and God says, throw your staff down. It turns into a snake. And then he says, you know, what am I going to say to the people when they ask who I am? And he says, um, tell them I am who I am. God's got you. God's got this. God had Sarah. By faith, Sarah received strength from God to conceive the promised son, he, that's Hebrews chapter eleven, eleven, where God gave her strength. God also remembered to open Rachel's womb in Genesis chapter 30. Remember that? Remember we talked about Rachel was in the same predicament where she uh, used, tried to use a concubine for the son of promise? Well, Jesus Christ ultimately came through her womb as well. Later on in Genesis chapter 30, God is grace, graceful and he always makes a way. Through circumstances, we may, those circumstances may seem to make things impossible. We have to remember that God spoke all things into existence by his word. You know, we can get so hemmed in to our problems that it's very hard to see, uh, analogy is said, it's hard to see the forest because all the trees are in the way. It's hard to see uh, anything past the circumstances that are in our life. And, and it's very important for us to remember who God is, first of all, and who we are. It's, it's important for us to remember that by his word, God spoke creation into existence. Colossians 1, verse 17 says, And he is before all things, speaking of Jesus Christ, and in him all things hold together. You know, it seems like every time that I go to pray, Immediately, I look at my surroundings and try to figure out with everything that's around me how God is going to fix my problem or answer that prayer. You, you know, it's natural for us because it's so hard. Like when we, even when we talk about the Trinity of God, to understand the nature of God, is, and your mind just is overwhelmed at trying to understand how God is one God and three persons. But you, the starting point to understanding that is understanding that God doesn't have our nature. So when I'm praying, immediately my nature kicks in and I start looking at all the things that God created of how that's gonna fix the problem instead of just believing that God is gonna fix the problem through whatever means he sees necessary. You know, we get tunnel vision. We get locked into our problems and we can't see the big picture. You know, we get locked in. You know, Sarah was locked into how she couldn't have a child, but God is telling her that the child is gonna come through her. You know, some... 
sometimes I'll have employees call me with an issue that they have and they, they get so, you know, they're trying to troubleshoot a problem and they get so dialed in on one thing that they forget to look at other things. And in 30 seconds on the phone with them, I'll say, well, did you try this? And they'll go, oh, that's the problem. It's not because they don't know how to fix problems. It's because we get our minds so entrenched and it's so focused in on what we're doing. Sometimes you gotta take a step back and take a bigger view. God has a specific plan in time when he acts, when he actions his sovereign will. A, spe a specific plan, a specific time when he actions his sovereign will. He will turn to Psalms 139. say the, the same thing I said last service. This is one of my favorite chapters, and then I think every chapter I turn to is one of my favorites, so God is good, and his word is amazing. Psalm 139, starting at verse 1, says, for the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. How many of us feel that way? Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I, make, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you, and I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And you can circle verse 16 here. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. What an amazing visual picture David gives us of how God is sovereign, how God has a plan. Before David was in existence, God had his days fashioned for him. All his days were written out. God knows what we're gonna do. God is not a God that is weak. He doesn't go around following us, having to change his plan every time we make a decision that's that we think is contrary to his will, he's got it all figured out. You know, one thing I forgot to mention in, in the last sermon um, was a, a way I like to look at it is Jesus Christ is not plan B. Jesus Christ isn't a backup plan because we could have lived the perfect life. This has always been God's plan. This has always been the way it's gonna be. And when he tells you, when he calls you and he tells you that he's gonna keep you and that he's gonna make a way for you, you can guarantee that it's gonna happen. I mean, how many times, by, you know, I'll do it by show of hands. Who in here has been failed by God? 
when God said he's gonna do something and failed you. Not when circumstances happen in your life and you're hurt, but when God said, I'm gonna do this and he doesn't do it. I think a lot of times we confuse things not going the way we want with failure. Ephesians chapter one, verse four, turn there real quick as I close up. Paul writing. Verse 4, just as he, that is God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. See, God has a sovereign plan and a sovereign will, and when he actions that sovereign will, he makes provision. Going back through our points, number one, faith and belief in God does not necessarily mean that you're going to be Uh, without doubt, without fear, without understanding how God is gonna action his plan. Number two is God gives grace to those whom he calls. He gives grace to us because he understands we're weak. And number three, God is faithful to make provision for his promises. You know, the last scripture I'm gonna read here, you can go ahead and turn there if you want or you can write it in your handout. Genesis chapter 21, verse six. We love happy endings, and this is definitely a happy ending. Genesis chapter 21, verse 6, And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear me will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah was 90 years old when Isaac was born. Isn't that amazing? Not only was she advanced in age like we talked about, she was past the age of childbearing. Her factory was shut down, but with God, all things are possible. And when he speaks something, it's gonna happen. You know, God told Abraham, you're gonna name your son Isaac, which means laughter. Remember how she laughed at God? You remember how Abraham laughed at God in their heart, thinking, man, that sounds a little ridiculous. You know, further translation says, it's not just laughter, but it, it's really, who, look who's laughing now. God is, God is laughing. You know, and I challenge you today, you know, in the, in the light of the witness that is set before us, Abraham and Sarah, I challenge you to trust God through your crisis of belief. You know, whatever you're going through, when you look at the circumstances that are around you, the impossibilities that are around you, and you have to come to a decision. Do I believe God or do I not? I challenge you to take that step out. Uh, we can't see God's plan, so we have to trust him. And ultimately, we have to practice what we preach. You know, it's very easy, very easy to tell someone how to get through a situation. It's a lot different when you have to go through that situation or that crisis of faith yourself. And so when you get to that crisis, you got to decide, are you going to, what are you going to do? Do you believe in God? Do you have faith in God? Do you trust in God? And if you do believe in God, if you do have faith in God, if you do trust in God, then what are you going to do about it? Are you going to continue to be timid or are you going to walk forth? Are you going to be bold and trust in God? 
You know, I don't know anyone's circumstance in here. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe it's, you know, something physical. Maybe, maybe it's even something like tithing to where you got to choose. I could give my tithes an offering or, or pay the, the power bill. I've been there. My wife and I have been there. And you got to choose. What do you believe? Do you believe that God is going to take care of you? Now, I'm not telling you that if you write that check or give money to the church that somebody's going to miraculously show up at the door to pay your power bill, but do you believe in God? I can guarantee you that God will take care of you if you're faithful to him. And it will never be the way you expect it. If you're a believer in Jesus, James says even the demons believe. He must be Lord of your life. Faith is not just a belief. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So maybe that's Dear Heavenly Father, God, we have faith who's shown us perseverance, even though there may have been failure. Lord, you are ultimately graceful, and ultimately you bring about your sovereign, the ultimate son of promise, Christ Jesus, as a result, Lord. Lord, I consider what they believe, Lord, that they would consider, decide to follow you, or not to sit back in fear and doubt, to decide that, yes, I do believe in God, and yes, I do believe he is faithful, and yes, I do trust him. Raise up men and women in this church and in the community, God, that would give in task that we can't accomplish on our own. Submissive to you, even in our weakness and doubt. In Jesus' name we pray.